0: why do you think people are going to enjoy today's episode
1: today's episode is all about karma karma will track you down and it always comes back around
0: welcome to socialite crime club
1: February of 2005 for this episode.
0: That's a long time ago. It is. What, 18 years now?
1: 18 years. God, that makes me feel old.
0: You are. That is so crazy. You know,
1: there's a baby involved in this case. And as we were discussing it, I was running the math in my head Mm -hmm. and I realized that baby's 18 years old.
0: Oh my gosh. That is insane. Well, that person is 18 years old. Well, the baby then is 18.
1: Right. We're going to go to a suburb of Phoenix, Arizona. Out east of Phoenix is a town called Gilbert, Arizona. Mm-hmm. It's kind of a high-end bedroom community, upper class, I would say middle to upper class. Yes. And we're going to talk about an individual by the name of Miko Wadey. Okay. Now, Miko Wadey was a aspiring artist, but more importantly, he was a producer, like a concert promoter producer.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: So he would actually promote and produce concerts for really big names. This okay. is where I learned it's not fifty cents. It's fitty.
0: Fitty cent.
1: Fitty. When I first talked to Miko, he explained that one of his clients was fifty cents. And mm-hmm. I was like, oh, you work for fifty cent? And he's like, no, it's fitty.
0: I have a song by fifty cent, fitty cent on my one of my playlists. It's in the club. I actually like that song.
1: Which playlist is that? <sighs>
0: My inner gangsta playlist. (laughs) So, those of you
1: who are curious, who Mm -hmm. else Mm -hmm. Miko may have produced? Uh, G Unit. I'm not familiar with G Unit. Are You?
0: No, I'm not.
1: But there's some other names that are actually very recognizable: Tim McGraw,
0: yes, and Faith Hill, oh, Mariah Carey. He's promoted handful of very high profile artists my boy Keith Urban oh if any of you don't know this site fanboys well, we Keith like, Urban we're, we're actually good friends we actually have some really fun pictures of yeah, you and Keith Urban Keith. at concerts we've hung out with Keith a couple yeah. times
1: Keith's a good guy Foo Fighters love the Foo Fighters oh we love they're the
0: great Foo. we saw them in Vegas uh, Dave Matthews Dave Matthews
1: I've never been a big Dave Matthews fan
0: this is quite a genre that he promotes interesting
1: Yeah, very, very interesting. He's doing really well. He's young. He's in his mid to late 20s around this time period, and he's raking in the cash. And Miko loves to flash the cash.
0: Hmm. So he's
1: got a Lamborghini. He's got a Ferrari. He just bought a brand new excursion. He's got all these cars. He goes through cars like people go through underwear. Every day, it's another car.
0: Is he leasing these cars? Where does he put them all?
1: It's a great question.
0: I don't know. In the garage,
1: a garage somewhere. Loves his toys. Jet skis, boats, four-wheelers, loves it all, and jewelry. He is known to walk around town with a $100,000 watch on and then switch them
0: out every other day. He loves to flaunt anything that he can purchase. He loves to
1: flash the cash. He would hang out at a lot of local hip-hop joints. And if you're not familiar with this, there's an entire scene, kind of like people hanging out at the barbershop. There's these hip-hop shops.
0: There's something like that across from SoFi Stadium, isn't it? Snoop Dogg. Snoop Dogg owns this entire marketplace across from SoFi Stadium.
1: Yeah. He has this little plaza and he's got like a hip hop shop where he sells clothing mm-hmm. and there's some other stores. And yeah, it's, it's a hangout. It's a place to go and hang out, these hip hop shops. Okay. So Miko hangs out at these hip hop shops, kind of keeping his thumb on the pulse, if you will, of local artists. Mm-hmm. And I've actually found quite a few articles from local newspapers where they describe him trying to bring up these young artists and trying to get them to sign with bigger records. take labels. them under his wing. Yeah, there's one in particular where he was trying to broker a deal with Def Jam Records, which is a pretty well-known record label. So Miko is connected. He's up and moving. He could potentially be the next Dr. Dre. He's producing people left and right, allegedly. Hmm. I found this really cool video, but apparently Unique Whips no longer airs. In the United States. What is
0: Unique Whips?
1: It was a show in the mid-2000s about people who take their cars to this shop in California and they completely rebuild them.
0: Like, okay.
1: Create these really nice custom cars. Okay. And I found an episode where they're promoting this episode is about producer Miko Waity's 2005 Dodge Magnum station wagon. I found and a this is the station
0: wagon. This is it. That is hideous.
1: And I remember seeing this car around town.
0: I have seen this car driving around Gilbert.
1: I found this really cool video too. It's cheesy <laughs> as it goes around, and we'll play it. But this shows all the work. I think this was probably the biggest waste of money. We, Miko, I'm ever
0: assuming did. those doors didn't pop up like that in the original manufacturer build. I think it's safe to say that's not
1: factory. Why? But again, it just lends to some of the credibility. He's paying a lot of money to have these modifications done to a car. He's got he's got mm-hmm. mad cash. This week's case doesn't have a 911 call Oh, because we have some good old-fashioned police work this week.
0: Oh, this is fun. Yes. Good.
1: So we have a patrol officer who is doing a good job doing exactly what he's supposed to do. He's driving through a neighborhood late at night. It's about three o'clock in the morning. He's got his windows down. He's going slow. He's just listening, listening and looking. And he hears what he believes is glass shattering, but not... Mm-hmm maybe just a little window, enormous glass shattering, a big, big plate glass window breaking. So he's trying to isolate where he thinks he just heard that and drive to the location. And he's driving down a street and he gets almost to the stop sign and he hears three honks, very distinct, perfectly timed honk, 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 which he's thinking now, wait a second. So he turns around. As he turns around, he's passed by another car. And this is a big Ford excursion. Do you know, like a suburban? Yes, Uh uh-huh. But Ford's version of this, brand new, great big Ford excursion, is pulling a flatbed trailer okay. that has, I think it was either four, maybe six four-wheelers tied down to it. Okay. But he keeps going, and right after that car passes him, he sees a male running down the street in his underwear. Okay. His hands are zip-tied behind his back, and he's bleeding from the head. Oh. It's Miko waiting. Okay. So he jumps out of his car, and Miko is yelling that's my car, that's them, that's them, go get my car. And of course the officer's like, hang on, what's wrong with you? Why are you naked running down the street zip-tied before I go chase this car Right. Miko very quickly explains, they are the victims of a home invasion. And this crew of at least four people came into his house with rifles and guns, took him and his wife somewhat hostage, tied them up, and they stole his car. And that's what just passed the officer. So the yeah. officer is going to relay this information on the radio. Another officer in the area actually sees this car exiting the neighborhood. Okay. As he's catching up to the car, whoever's driving it isn't going to slow down to see what's going on, realizes a cop car's behind him, and immediately just takes off.
0: It seems a lot of these things happen in the singing world, the artist world.
1: I would say specifically with maybe hip-hop rap artists.
0: Yeah, because I don't know that this is a, a Dave Matthews type of thing to do. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Keith Urban probably doesn't deal with this very often, you're Yeah, I
0: don't see Keith you, Urban you, you might, <laughs> dealing with something like this or his producers for that matter.
1: You might be correct. The immediate pursuit, right? So they're going northbound on a road called Val Vista Road. Mm-hmm. Speeds of about
0: ninety, ninety-five. Wait, from where they're going northbound on Val Vista. Williamsfield. From.
1: This starts at S- Val Vista and Williamsfield.
0: So they're pretty far south in Gilbert. And at that time, there weren't many freeways, so they had a, quite a ways north to go. Oh yeah. Before they, had they could to, even they get, they get had to, a to freeway, get
1: maybe six or seven miles to get to the freeway. Okay. But about a mile and a half from where this pursuit starts, there's a set of railroad tracks. And if anybody's ever driven over the railroad tracks at Val Vista and Warner. The road comes up and then goes back down. You know, it's by that school.
0: At Velviston Warner? Yeah. The shithead school? The shithead
1: school. Where yeah. All okay. the kids who get thrown out of high school have to go.
0: Yeah. They so, can't make it anywhere else for some reason. So this
1: truck pulling a trailer with all these four-wheelers strapped down goes over those railroad tracks at 90 miles an hour. Almost wrecks. The officer's calling it out. It's a complete shit show. They only make it about another three-quarters of a mile, half a mile, and they try to turn onto a side road lose control, run into a ditch, crash the excursion. Two suspects jump out of the excursion, take off running. Okay. One of the good things about Gilbert, Arizona, late at night, is there's not a lot going on. So there are plenty of officers who have nothing better to do, and they're going to lock down a pretty good perimeter in this area. They're not
0: making traffic stops anymore?
1: Yeah, they're not going (laughs) to—you're safe to drive for once in your life through Gilbert, Arizona. Those of you not familiar, do not speed and do not drive intoxicated through Gilbert, Arizona. You will get stopped. They take that very seriously. Right. So they're going to lock down this perimeter (laughs) and start searching for these two suspects. They're going to find one of them about an hour later. One of our canines actually finds him hiding in somebody's car. So somebody had left their car unlocked and he crawled in the car and was laying on the floorboard. Okay. So we arrest one suspect. We do not catch the other suspect. Oh. At the same time, we are now doing an investigation back at Miko's house. And he describes what happens. And it is it is pretty violent. He and his wife have just had their first baby.
0: Oh, congratulations. three days
1: old three, four days old at this point, little girl. And they're upstairs sleeping. The baby's in a bassinet next to the bed. They wake up to this glass breaking and somebody threw a river rock, like a big river rock, through their sliding glass door in the backyard. Mm. As soon as they hear the glass, Miko is explaining within seconds, they were in his bedroom. Like they knew exactly where to go, which always kind of confused him a little bit of how fast they went from the glass to the master bedroom, which is upstairs. Sure they're armed they immediately pull miko out of the bed they Did hit he
0: mention if and he's ever brought clients to his home?
1: Not that he thought these people were involved with. So he thinks they know him but not directly. Okay. Like he doesn't think that they have any He's run across them
0: somewhere they've crossed paths.
1: Right. When they're pulling him out of his bed they also pistol whip him with one of the guns so he that's where he gets cut and he starts bleeding they put him down on the ground <laughs> immediately zip tie his wrist. Two other suspects start in on his wife, who's also asleep in the bed. They pull the covers back. They immediately start talking about how they're going to rape her. And it's pretty violent conversation that happens during this time period. And she's convinced she's about to get raped. Oh, dear. But because she had just given birth, when they go to pull her panties down, she's still yeah. bleeding.
0: And she probably still has the hospital gauze Yeah, she's type got like the grandma-style panties on. Right.
1: And when they pull them down, she's still bleeding and they get grossed out. So instead, they just start making fun of her for bleeding instead. But in all reality, that probably saved her from being raped that night. Okay. At this point, they're asking Miko where the cash is. They want to know where the cash is. They're convinced he's got stacks of cash in the house, which he doesn't. They take the baby out of the bassinet, put it on know. the floor next to Miko with the gun into the baby's head, oh. threatening to shoot the baby if he doesn't give him this information. He does have a safe, and they're demanding he opens the safe. Eventually, opens the safe, but there's really nothing in there. I think there's some watches, some jewelry. There isn't any cash So now they have it in their head that the cash must be at his office, which is in Mesa, maybe 10 miles away. So they start basically beating him up, telling him, we're going to go to the office, give us the combination. We want the combination to the safe in the office now. And he's telling, I don't know what you're talking about. I don't have cash in my... I keep my cash in the bank like everybody else in the world. Right. So it seems very disorganized. And all of this chaos is happening. The suspects hear three horn honks, which apparently is the signal for cops. Okay. So our officer- So they have a lookout. Right. And our officer who's being really heads up that night, when the cop car drives by, once it passed and kind of went down the street a little bit, he honks three times to let him know, hey, the cops are here.
0: And did this officer hear the honks?
1: He did. That's why he turned around and actually was coming Got back okay. to the house. So at that point, they run out of the house. They're just grabbing whatever nonsense they could find. They took a couple TVs, some jewelry, just odds and ends stuff, stuff that really didn't make sense
0: just mm-hmm. kind of a... TVs.
1: Yeah, who steals TVs?
0: Well, I mean, anymore. I, I mean, there are people who steal TVs, but they're not that expensive. This is a pretty
1: violent encounter, though, for TV.
0: It is a violent you know encounter I mean? for TV, yeah.
1: So we're going to start <laughs> the investigation, and obviously at this point we have one suspect who we apprehended through the canine, and that is where we're going to start our case. There's another really interesting piece of evidence, though, that comes up here. Another officer doing a really good job that night. It's been raining. So okay. it, everything's wet. As he's looking for one of these two suspects, he comes across this little piece of paper on the ground that's dry, and it just catches his eye because he's like everything around him is soaking wet, But and there's, there's this something dry that piece is, of paper.
0: It's very—it's a recent piece of evidence, right? And
1: it's a receipt, and he doesn't think a lot of it, other than it just stands out. So he picks up, puts it in his pocket. He will later impound it. So we also have this receipt. We don't know if it's connected or not, but it's—it's it's something.
0: That happens to be out of place.
1: Right. As we start the crime scene investigation a little bit more, obviously we're interviewing Miko at the police department now. We're interviewing his wife. It does appear that this was planned by somebody he knows. They knew his name. They believe he had cash. They knew about his office. So even though he doesn't recognize them and immediately know it's, oh, it's this client or that client. They know
0: exactly who he is. There's
1: definitely some information that's making him think, okay, somehow I know these people. Now- This is where things start to get interesting. We interview the suspect that we apprehended that the canine found. He doesn't want to talk. He immediately invokes, send me to jail. I'm fine. Hmm. So we book him into jail. Don't think much about it. Okay. A couple days later, we find out he's actually out on release from another armed robbery. But because he's only on release, he doesn't have a conviction for that armed robbery yet. It didn't immediately pop up in the the system. system. So when we start to find out about that, we contact the county attorney's office, and we start discussing with the county attorney's office, hey, what's the odds that maybe we can work a deal with this kid if we can get him to talk? And we contact him, and we come back, and sure enough, he wants to talk. Because he's looking at a solid 20 years maybe 30 years between the two armed robberies.
0: And how old is he?
1: He's like 18, turning 19. He's a pretty young kid. He's, yeah. got, a lot of, he's got a lot of runway in front of him. So right. going to prison for 20 or 30 years right out of the bat there is kind of rough. This sobers him up very quickly to the situation and he wants to talk. He explains he's an aspiring artist himself. Oh. A little up-and-coming rapper from the hood. Okay. And he hangs out at this hip-hop shop on a regular basis. Okay who Miko Wade might frequent on a regular basis as well. So he knows who Miko is because of the hip hop shop. He sees his Ferrari, his Lamborghini, and
0: he sees all this money that he's and bringing cash. in. Cash.
1: He always claims that he's the producer for Fiddy. He sees the opportunity. He sees the opportunity. So he makes a tape, his mixtape.
0: Oh my gosh. And
1: he gives it to Miko one day when he sees him in the shop like, "Hey, check me out. I'm an artist as well. Like you'll love my tape."
0: Okay. The best and-
1: of. We're going to call this kid Joe by the way. So Joe's okay. mixtape doesn't go over well with Miko. In fact, Miko just kind of disses the kid.
0: That it Aww. really pisses Joe off. Okay. He's like, come on, buddy. Give me a chance. Yeah,
1: I'm an up-and-coming artist from the hood. Like, help me out. A couple weeks later, he's driving down hmm. the road, just minding his own business. Joe is. And Miko Wadey passes him in his black Ford excursion. And he immediately recognizes it because Miko's known for these real extravagant cars. Okay. Which is why I showed the car in the beginning.
0: Which is why I've seen that... Ugly Dodge driving around Gilbert before.
1: He immediately recognizes, oh, that's Miko. And Miko has this trailer with, like I said, four, four wheelers strapped down to the back of it. Joe decides to follow Miko to his house, unbeknownst to Miko. Miko has no idea that Joe's following. Once he figures out where Miko lives, he calls up a buddy of his who runs what we call a Rip Crew. And this buddy, who will also remain nameless, we're going to go by his street name, his A.K.A. Mm -hmm. Doughboy...
0: Oh, this is is what his friends call him.
1: Yeah, Doughboy is legit. He is the leader of a very well-known gang in Phoenix. It's legitimate. It's not like he wants to grow up and be a gangster someday. He's living the lifestyle.
0: Okay.
1: He runs a Rip Crew, and what a Rip Crew is is they target drug dealers— Who are bringing in loads of drugs or loads of cash so through different intelligence sources they'll find out hey somebody just brought in 500 pounds of weed and they will go rip that weed that night they'll break into the house do a home invasion tie everybody up steal the weed and take off
0: so what they don't realize is that people with normal jobs don't just keep stacks of cash laying around like drug dealers do
1: right however miko who's always flashing cash Seems like an easy target.
0: Like he would have tons of money laying around. Right.
1: And Joe's a little bit jaded anyway because he got the. He the
0: got Heisman. dissed.
1: Yeah. So Joe convinces Doughboy hey, I have a hit we can do on this Miko Waitey character. Okay. Doughboy's interested. Hey, let's, let's drive out there. Let's check it out. So they drive out, and sure enough, there's the excursion parked in front of the house. Still has the trailer and the four-wheelers on it. They do a little scout, and Doughboy decides this is a legit opportunity. Let's take advantage of it. So they start calling up the crew. They drive back to the West Phoenix. I think this is the part that I enjoy the most is you have six hardcore gangsters okay. that are going to come together as part of this RIP crew. Where do you think they would meet?
0: Somebody's house in a garage?
1: No, you got to eat. You got to... You got to fuel yourself before you do this.
0: McDonald's?
1: Eats-a-pizza.
0: Oh. I don't know if you
1: remember Eats-a-pizza, but it's like a really cheesy Chuck E. Cheese. It's a pizza buffet
0: kind of. Yeah. It's cheap pizza, cardboard dough.
1: 100%. So they meet out on the west side at the Eats-a-pizza where they're planning this home invasion. Okay. And in my head, when I play back how this is all playing out and the way Joe's describing it and what we find later on, they eat their pizza. They have this plan. They get out to the parking lot. Doughboy is making the final preparations. They're going to take two cars, you three in this car, you three come over here. By the way, you're tying up hands. You're the gunman. You're going to break the window. You're going to do this. And then the first guy who has to tie the hands is like, I forgot my zip ties. Hey, do you have zip ties? No, man, I don't. You're supposed to bring the zip ties. Well, I forgot the zip ties. And there's this oh, conversation. it's very
0: unorganized.
1: Very unorganized. So Doughboy's like, stop. You... Go get the home invasion kit. The rest of us will drive out there. We'll meet up out there. So...
0: The home invasion kit.
1: Three of these guys... Is
0: this at somebody's house? Oh, no. Is it already prepared
1: somewhere? No, you go to the local auto zone. And you have to find an auto zone that's open 24 hours a day because it's now almost midnight. Okay. So they go to the closest 24-hour auto zone. In
0: Glendale. In
1: Glendale, which is interesting because of the receipt that the officer
0: found... Which already makes it suspicious that the receipt is from Glendale and it's in Gilbert.
1: Correct. And we may have some Glendale fans that listen to this later. And if you're truly from Glendale, you're going to agree with me. There's this square in West Phoenix in Glendale between the Avs and the streets. If something is happening there, it's bad. Period. (laughs) Period.
0: Stepping into there is bad.
1: Yeah, so just (laughs) the fact that I look at the address here and I realize, hey, we're around 56th Avenue in Camelback. Bad. Bad shit happens there every night.
0: this receipt has cable ties. What's Fast Fit G? Okay, so
1: what we have is a poly clothesline. It's rope that you would use to actually make a clothesline to hang your clothes on. Okay. By the way, that comes in a 50-foot span. So it's 50 feet of rope, Okay. two bags of cable ties, which are zip ties. So they're buying two bags of zip ties. Fast Fit G is gloves. They're buying mechanic gloves.
0: Okay. I see where they're headed here.
1: Now, apparently someone didn't get enough to eat at the buffet because they also buy a Snickers. This was Doughboy. And a bag of Garditos.
0: (laughs) Doughboy's like, hey, I still need snacks.
1: Don't forget the fucking Garditos this time. (laughs) This is what we call a home invasion kit. Clothesline, cable ties, gloves, Snickers, and a bag of Garditos. And off they go. Okay,
0: so how much did they pay for all this?
1: It was like $28. This is a pretty good investment. You got to spend money to make money. Well, at least they paid. They did pay. They paid in cash. Now, I have a picture here, too. This is one of the kids who actually bought this stuff.
0: He looks really young. That's a
1: good observation. He is 15 years old.
0: Oh, my gosh.
1: Been in the game now for almost 30 years myself. This is probably one of the most dangerous individuals I ever came across. He's really trying to make a name for himself in this gang, and this is a violent street gang.
0: Okay.
1: He's already good for at least two homicides when this picture's taken. Oh my god! I suspect he's probably good for a lot more by now. He was the kid who wanted the respect of all these hardcore gangbangers, and he was willing to do anything for that. He. Packed a gun with him everywhere he went, and he would just start shooting people just because.
0: He had nothing to lose.
1: Nothing to lose. He had no value in life, and he didn't value anybody's life. So, Nor himself. Super dangerous kid, even though he looks young and you would never see it coming, which is part of the reason he's so dangerous. This kid's <laughs> going to be a little bit of a mystery, and we'll come back to him. But now the case is starting to come together. We're seeing this planning of the Eats a Pizza meeting. Now they're getting the cable ties. The next thing that's kind of funny is they get lost. They're all from the west side. They're not used to coming out to the east side. And they get lost, which generates phone calls back and forth of...
0: Where are we? Where Where am I going?
1: Yeah, in 2005, we're talking flip phones for the most part.
0: Yeah, they didn't have Google Maps yet.
1: Yeah, you're not navigating to these areas. Okay. Eventually, they all meet up just outside of Miko's house. They stop at a little park down the street, give the final plans. It was interesting in talking with... Both Joe initially and then some of the other suspects as we we contacted them later on. They planned this like a full operation. They knew whose role was whose, who was going to break the window, who was on lookout when they got in the house, how to get to the the bedroom. And what's interesting is when I asked them, well, how did you know the layout of the house? Mm Mm-hmm. It was a new home. They went to the builder's website and actually were looking at the floor plans on the builder's website.
0: Oh, my gosh.
1: And I've had this come up on a couple of cases. I don't think people realize most houses are either on Zillow or Redfin, Realtor.com. If you have a home that was built as part of these big housing development. All the
0: floor plans are there.
1: All the floor plans are there. People probably don't realize you can go to Zillow, you can go to Redfin Realtor, and you can remove those photos.
0: Right. Well, they're all linked to the MLS, which is the primary realtor website that they put the photos on in the first place and where they list the house.
1: Correct. And some things that people don't think about when they're buying or selling a house have your realtor in your contract that you're entering with the realtor to represent you on that deal. Have them include that part of their duty is to remove the photos from the internet once the the sale is complete.
0: Well, because if you're the buyer, it's this. It should be the seller's agent to remove them. It should be their duty. Well, to remove it depends.
1: Them. Once it's filed it's now the buyers. So if you've already purchased the house and now you own the house, you have to go to like Zillow and Zillow has a way you can claim ownership of that house. And then once they verify you're the owner, you can remove the photos. So
0: you as the buyer, it's already gone through, you can't call the seller's Broker.
1: Not after the fact. It has to be part of the deal the to get the okay. seller to do it.
0: Interesting. This this is But good. if
1: people just Google how do I remove photos from Zillow or Redfin, it'll come up there's pretty easy directions to follow. But it's oh, just good. something to think about. Like I don't like it the is a good of somebody looking tip. at my house for the purposes of committing a home invasion.
0: Or other reasons, but okay.
1: Joe puts this case together for us pretty well. He explains all of the, the players who's who. We end up writing a handful of search warrants. One interesting caveat here, we get two of them right off the bat. Two of them were really easy to find. Doughboy, when we hit his house, he was also known for raising pit bulls, like fighting pit bulls, street fighting pit bulls, almost like cock fighting, but pit bull fighting. Yeah, yeah. So we had this intel it's that terrible. when you go to his house, be very, very careful. He's got these pit bulls that allegedly will just eat your face off. Okay. And these are SWAT warrants. So at the time, I'm, I'm a detective, but I'm also on our SWAT team. So as we go to serve this warrant okay. on Doughboy's house, as we go around in the backyard, sure enough, there is this pit bull who seems really mean. Big pit bull. He's on a chain, but okay. he's chained to like the middle of the, the yard.
0: He's just got a stake in the ground with a chain right, on it.
1: Right, right. But where we need to be in our position... He can get to us. And a lot of times within the SWAT world, if you throw a flashbang to a dog, the dog will take off.
0: Explain to people what a flashbang is.
1: Think of a grenade that doesn't actually explode with shrapnel. You hear the concussion, the the noise, the light, but there's no actual fragmentation of anything that's going to hurt you. Okay. And a lot of times animals are deathly afraid of these. Like
0: fireworks.
1: Yeah. Think of it as a loud firework. Large, really, really loud firecracker. So as we come around the back, we see this dog. Somebody's already tasked, hey, you flashbang the dog. It'll all be good. Well, this poor dog gets scared and takes off running and tries to jump the fence. Aww. But he hits the end of his chain about halfway through
0: his oh, jump no. as he's
1: clearing the fence. And nobody thought about this and happening. And he's hanging himself now because he's the chain is up over the fence. And he's dangling he from the, the fence ground, line. So he's sitting there choking himself out basically. And one of the SWAT officers that is with us is like a total animal lover. Good. Goes over and kind of holds his head a little bit and is able to get the collar off and lets this dog go. And we're all thinking
0: that the dog, dog is, is going gonna to charge eat you. you
1: as soon as you, what are you doing, dummy? As soon as the dog got off, he was the biggest playful thing you've ever seen. He's licking, jumping around, just wanting to play. We're all playing with the dog before the whole thing. <laughs> so the dog wasn't that mean. Doughboy's gone. We do not find Doughboy, but we do recover a gun which is important because he can't possess guns. He's got a couple felony convictions. Mm. As we continue this, we're going to start looking for the kid you saw in the picture that bought the home invasion kit. Okay. And we are having a hard time tracking him down because his name is very common in the Phoenix area. What is that? Juan Jose Garcia. Oh. Legitimately. There's
0: probably a handful of those.
1: That is his name, Juan Garcia.
0: Throughout the Southwest.
1: Yeah, we ran a quick search. There's like 12,622 of them or something (laughs) like that. So we're trying to find Juan Jose Garcia, who is 15 turning 16, so he's really not in the system. Mm -hmm. The only thing we truly have to identify him is we have figured out his phone. So we know what phone he's using. And we start this giant SWAT operation to track down Juan Jose Garcia by his phone. And I'm going to make fun of cops here. Good. Cops will avoid everything to prevent themselves from having to do a little bit of paperwork. We are hunting down a violent fugitive. We're gonna try to get him in his car because that's typically the safest way to do it. Okay. And we're gonna do what's called a street jump. And on a street jump, you pin a car in. So maybe we, we figure out who he is. We're all in unmarked cars, so he doesn't know who we are. Comes up to a stop sign in an intersection. What he doesn't realize is he's already surrounded by police officers.
0: There's really nowhere for him
1: to go. There's nowhere to go. And when the signal is given, We're going to execute this operation right now. Everybody pinches that car in. When I say pinch the car in, you make contact. Your car is pushing into his car. Mm -hmm. But you scratch cars. You dent cars.
0: Yeah, it's part of the fun.
1: That requires paperwork. And I will tell you more times than not, I've worked with cops who refuse to fill out that paperwork. And at the last second, they refuse to actually hit that car. They'll leave a foot. They'll leave two feet. And people have seen this on the news with the helicopter where they finally- That's where people get away. Yeah, they pin this car in and then pretty soon he starts moving around and he squirts out and he's gone. Right. That happened in this case. One of our commanders, it was actually our SWAT commander, just got a new Tahoe.
0: Mm Hmm.
1: He didn't want to hurt that Tahoe because- Because it
0: wasn't just a take-home car. It was the family car, probably. (laughs) Probably. He's got the car seat back there. Right, right. His wife's shopping Sunday trip.
1: 100%. So he leaves enough of this gap that Juan pulls up over the sidewalk, around the other car, takes off. The pursuit's on. Oh, dear. We're going to chase this kid around Phoenix for the better part of two hours. We have an air unit, so the helicopter's following him.
0: So Phoenix is with you guys, Phoenix PD. Yeah, it's
1: a big operation. We
0: have a lot
1: of different agencies with us before we're done DPS Because I'm
0: assuming Doughboy's house was also in Phoenix. Yes. So phoenix's air unit was with you was their swat team with you as well
1: we had a handful of their swat team guys we had some of the dps the state guys with us we we had everybody because this guy's wanted for a couple other murders he's he's good to go for several so there's a
0: lot of agencies looking for a
1: lot of agencies and we screw up the street jumping it's embarrassing because it's just dent your damn car it's okay juan doesn't know we're tracking his phone So every time he gets away from us, we just, everybody backs off. We wait for him to stop. Once he kind of stagnates again, we know where the phone is and we just put units back to where he's at and we start over again. After three times, he escapes our little perimeter every time. (laughs) He's a wiry one.
0: So he just maybe thinks that the air unit is tracking him.
1: Yeah. And we're running through and I had a a buddy of mine with me that night. I'm driving. He's in the passenger seat. We have all of our SWAT gear in the back of this car and we're following the helicopter Uh, Robbie Targos was his name, and Robbie was actually killed a year later. So this was just a year before his death. And we actually had a blast that night because as we're trying to follow this helicopter, we're having to stop at some stop signs, we're running other stop signs, we're trying to catch up to everybody, but it's just chaos in the car. And all of the stuff we had in our back seat had come up into the front seat. We had stuff rolling around the floors. It was just a complete shit show (laughs) of us trying to catch Juan Jose. We finally get him isolated into this apartment complex. The air unit has got visual of him again. He's running through the parking lot. And we had this canine. The canine's name, not his official name, but we all called him was Psycho.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: It was a Belgian Malinois. Okay. And if people are not familiar with a Belgian Malinois, they're insane. They are psychotic.
0: Right. The military uses them a lot in their military operations yes, for and bomb And where, where people think and-
1: that maybe these dogs are being abused... This is the best day of this dog's life. They love this. They it's love a game. to work. Yes, it is a game.
0: They game. remind me a bit of you. Unless they're really heavily challenged with a challenging job, they're <laughs> just glad not I happy. I remind you
1: of an aggressive
0: dog. <laughs> Our canine I handler. didn't mean it like that. Sure. But.
1: Our canine handler that's managing this dog is really, really good. He's a very well-known, very well-respected handler. And he actually went to Belgium and handpicked this dog brought him back. He's trained this dog so well. What a lot of people don't realize is when a canine bites you, they don't just run up and try to bite you. The really good canines will run full force and then they launch into the air, kind of like a little missile. So when they bite you, they have all of this force of their forward movement that pulls you down and they'll weigh 80 to 100 pounds.
0: Right. They're pretty heavy.
1: Yeah. So I don't care how big and how strong you are. When they latch on to you, they have all that momentum. It'll knock you down to the ground. Well, this canine had trained his dog so well to do this that the dog actually broke his canine teeth, you know, the big teeth in the front.
0: Oh, my gosh.
1: Completely broke them off. How
0: old was the dog?
1: Like maybe three or four, so right in the prime of his career. Uh Uh-huh. So they took him to the doggy dentist. Okay. The doggy dentist put titanium teeth in. Oh, my gosh. This dog actually had like his big canine teeth were titanium. When he growled, it looked like he was wearing a grill.
0: A dog named Psycho. With titanium teeth,
1: I'm not making this up. <laughs> this is this the in- is most awesome. insane dog ever. Well, our, our handler sees Juan Jose running through and is like, "I'm letting the dog go," which we would pay attention to because all of the SWAT cops are now running as fast as Juan because Jose to get Because you've probably
0: all out. been bit by this dog at this some point. dog has
1: bit more cops than he has suspects. <laughs> He's insane, and he hit one at a full run. And they went like ass end over end, three or four times, full cart rails through that parking lot. And we finally got one. I think it broke his shoulder or something. It broke it dislocated Juan's shoulder? his clavicle. It his clavicle. It got a hold of his shoulder.
0: Good. Good, oh, good boy. It yeah,
1: good boy. Good boy. Oh,
0: here's some treats. So Love now you we so have
1: much. three of them. Okay. We have Joe, which was the fourth. We're missing one suspect.
0: And do you know his name at this point at all?
1: Doughboy. Oh, we're I still know missing, his name, but I'm going to... But
0: that's what I'm saying. We don't know. We're not going to reveal his name yeah. at this
1: point. I was pretty good at tracking people down. At this point in my career, I knew all of the little tricks to find people. And we kind of have the saying that there's certain people in somebody's life, and I'm going to preface this a little bit. Most violent fugitives that I've tracked in my career are males, period. Most of them live very much a gangster style of life. So when I'm Explaining the next few things. This is referring to just the sheer numbers. Mostly males living kind of a gangster wannabe life. There are three people that if you can figure out how to get into one of these three people, you will find your fugitive every single time. One is a girlfriend. They've got a girlfriend, start tracking the girlfriend. Sooner or later, the girlfriend will lead back. If they've ever pissed somebody off who's willing to kind of rat them out a little bit. You've got to find that source, that confidential source of information who's going to keep you in tuned. Right. The next one is if they've ever pissed a woman off. There is nothing in this world that will screw you faster than a scorned woman. Right. So as officers, we would look for these things. Is Mm -hmm. there a girlfriend? Is there a pissed off ex-girlfriend? Do we have somebody who's maybe willing to drop a little bit of information? And maybe
0: with his phone. Snitches, bitches, and phones how they all get caught
1: a hundred percent
0: so this is a funny story we went to a lot of conferences during our time in our career at ZX when we owned that business and we were in las vegas at a conference talking with an undercover officer who became a really good friend of ours over time with orange county sheriff's office in california and we were talking a lot about different types of investigations and he comes out and says after a few beers snitches bitches and phones man it's how they all get caught. I looked at Sai and said, we need to put that on a t-shirt, which we did ultimately. And we had a little emblem that went with it. It was amazing. And we had this cult following who all wanted t-shirts. And we had this Snitches, Bitches, and Phones embedded in the tag of the shirt. So it wasn't actually on the shirt. So people could wear it out and about and nobody would really know what it meant. But only if you had been through one of our classes, you would know what this meant. It was was a very fight club. First rule of
1: fight clubs, you don't talk about fight clubs. So if you attended one of our classes at the very end of the class, (laughs) we would explain this and we'd explain the shirt.
0: And where you could get one.
1: We call the SBP.
0: Yes. And we had it on our website, not the words, but we did have SBP on our website so that people could go to the website and buy a shirt. Buy these shirts. Mm -hmm. Want to tell them what happened in court?
1: Yeah. I thought it was a terrible idea from the get go. When you told me you were going to put this on a t-shirt, I was like, the hell you are. I can't. You're kind of behind the scenes. You're just the the mind behind the scenes, making everything in the business work. <laughs> I was more of the face of the business, who had to go out in the public and actually interact with people a lot yeah. of times in court. Uh huh. So I was totally against SBP going public from the beginning. People loved it, though. They did love it, and I was in Boston in court. Mm-hmm. Uh, three defendants. It was, I think it was a drive-by. They had shot somebody. I think the person lived, but were. We're in trial for an attempted homicide, three suspect, three defense attorneys. We've been trying to get into Massachusetts. Massachusetts is a really hard state because of their laws. Uh, They are very, very staunch supporters of every aspect of a constitution. We had
0: been trying to get Massachusetts state police to purchase.
1: But in general, just we wanted cases in Massachusetts to show our reliability. Right. And this was a big deal because we finally had a case that we were going to trial. And- (laughs) It's not every day you get three defense attorneys in the same trial. So I'm super prepared for anything I think they can throw at me. The first defense attorney does cross-examination. Didn't really ask me much. It was really simple. And I'm like, okay, that was pretty easy. Second one, pretty much the same thing. And now I'm getting a little bit of a big head because I'm, pff, what's the third one? I'm, gonna do? I'm, I'm good to go. And the third defense attorney starts his cross-examination with me of mm-hmm. Mr. Ray. Do you maintain a website, which immediately bells and whistles are going off, because where's he going? Right. So, yes, I own a website. And on that website, you sell apparel, mm-hmm. to which I thought, oh, shit. Yes. I know where he's going. Yes. Yes, sir. And on that website, with the apparel, you sell shirts, do you not? Yes. And those shirts on the inside of them have the letters SBP. Do yes. they not? Yes. Before I could say yes, he says, actually it's snitches, bitches, and phones, is it not, Mr. Ray? And here I am (laughs) trying to be professional, getting into this new market with an entire jury in front of me, and I have to explain (laughs) my damn wife decided she wants to put this I
0: remember the phone call as you leaving you were leaving (sighs) the court saying, Take down the webpage immediately. And I was thinking, no, no, we can't. I had to explain snitches,
1: bitches, and phones to the jury. The best part of that is the defendants, the three defendants, they're all kind of gangsters. Uh They're busting up because they're like, because they know. That's how we
0: got caught. It's just the truth. It's the truth. And we got a
1: little carried away because in in the tag, we had snitches, bitches, and phones. And then at the bottom, we put all day because there's a Mm -hmm. barbecue place here. And if you order any of their food, like if you order the brisket, the lady just yells, brisket all day. Yeah. Pulled pork all And we thought it was kind of funny. It was funny. just
0: a fun little tagline. So
1: then the defense asked me, well, what does it say underneath snitches, bitches, and phones? And I'm trying to save a little bit of grace with the jury. And I'm like, 100% cotton? It's <laughs> <laughs> like, no, under that. Oh, what was the jury's day?
0: reaction to this? Do you remember? And they're laughing.
1: Everybody in the court, I think even the judge smirked a little bit. I felt like an idiot. I could feel myself turning red. But at the end of the day, I think people get it. You're dealing with a different type of person here. To some people, that might be really offensive. But to the average fugitive... They would tell you, "Oh no,
0: it's true." It's the fastest. That's way why to we caught. use burner phones.
1: Yes, hundred percent. So that's the legend of SBP. But then I figured we've got to. I've got to have a backup story here. If I, I'm never going to go through this on the stand. Right. So then we got involved with bear poaching, and SBP became Stop Bear Poaching.
0: Right. So we all sat down as a group, with all of our employees, yeah. and we all sat and tried to come up with different things that SBP could stand for. How could we rearrange Stop. our acronym? So it became Stop Bear Poaching. And we had a really cool picture of a big grizzly bear catching trout fuzzy, yeah, on our web, on our website.
1: Yeah, That was fun. If you own an SBP shirt, they're probably worth some money these days. I would hope so. There's not maybe a couple hundred of them out there now. Well,
0: we even had lapel pins and tie yeah, pins. It was a whole thing. It was fun.
1: So with this case, we're gonna use that tactic. And mm-hmm. a couple of these pieces, we're trying to get to people's phones to figure out where is Doughboy. We've been tracking him for a year. He's on a couple of the top 10 lists around the country too. He's, he's well known as far as a fugitive. Mm-hmm. People are looking for him. Okay. cannot find him. We get a tip that his current girlfriend is pregnant with his baby. So we're trying to figure out where she's going to the OBGYN, how far along is she, if we start tracking her. She's a
0: scorned lover.
1: Yes. No, no, no. Well, the scorned lover gave us the current lover who is now pregnant. Right. We interviewed her once and she pretty much told us to just go screw ourselves, the current one who's pregnant. She wanted nothing to do with us. She's going to fight for Doughboy to the very end. She was using burner phones every two weeks. Every two weeks, she'd get a new phone, and so would he. So trying to track the phones, it just wasn't working that well. Ultimately, I won't explain exactly how we figured it out, but we figured out her OBGYN. And if we could put her in a couple of places, we could figure out her current phone, which maybe gives us Doughboy's phone. It's a long, complicated technical process. Mm-hmm. But at the end of the day, we've got to identify her at the OBGYN. It's the only known place we'd know that she would be. Right. So just to screw with one of my detectives... I call one of my female detectives up and I'm like, hey, we have this case that just came in where an OBGYN, when he's doing pap smears, he's getting a little too touchy-feely. Okay. You're pretty much being sexually assaulted instead of getting a pap, so we need to send in an undercover. Would you mind? And And with zero hesitation, she's like, send me
0: in. I'm good for this. Good, yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Just take one for the team.
1: Yeah, and I'm like, no, weirdo. Here's (laughs) what we really need is can you sit in the lobby and identify this person when she comes in for her appointment? It's going to be next Thursday. We need to track, when she's leaving the building, let us know because we need to track her. Okay. So sure enough, it goes off without any issues at all. We find her, we track her back to her house, and we start tracking her current phone. We get to Doughboy's phone. We think he is at the house. And here is this hardcore gangster, right? Mm -hmm. Home invasion, running this RIP crew. He's been on the run for a year. ATF, the marshals, everybody's looking for him. He's just a badass. Okay. Okay. We go driving by the house about a week later just to do a little pass, really quick. And to our surprise, there's Doughboy in the front yard wearing a pair of basketball shorts, this oversized, like, wife beater tank top, mm-hmm. watering his flowers.
0: For his wife's flowers.
1: <laughs> his wife's flowers. Or girlfriend. Because yeah, it wife. doesn't matter how his hardcore girlfriend. you are if you're told to go water the flowers. Yeah, and you go. We do end it. up arresting Doughboy in the front yard while he was watering the flowers of all Oh things.
0: my gosh. And was he didn't run? He didn't put up a fight?
1: No, he was totally cool. And this is what I want to get into this a little bit because I think it might be interesting to some of our, our viewers. This guy's hardcore. He's hardcore, hardcore. His family has history, and I don't want to get into all the history, but his family is very well known in the prison system as running part of the prison system, not from the good side, from the suspect mm-hmm. side. Right. He's connected.
0: They're very influential amongst their peers.
1: Yes, and running a very, very well-documented Hispanic gang that dominates the prisons. Okay. Uh, this kid's legit, nothing but respectful the entire time we were with him. When we are booking him, he's funny. He's actually really funny. His cops are coming through the booking center. He's Mm -hmm. making fun of cops, like a stand-up comedian. He's like just doing a little side act. He made fun of my mom for the better part of an hour. And it was funny. How so? I'm not going to repeat it. My mom listens to this. Just tell me. Just mom jokes the entire time, like different things. She made
0: him breakfast?
1: I think he started with asking me if the next time I'm at my mom's house, could I get his Nikes? Because he left them there last time (laughs) he was there. And I'm like, wait, what? He's like, hey, when you see your mom again, can you pick up my Nikes?
0: So this is just friendly banter. Yeah, just
1: friendly banter. But he was very respectful. Okay. I don't say we were friends, but we had a professional respect, but I guess. He would have been fun
0: to have at a party.
1: Yeah, yeah. I would totally hang out with this kid. Uh, he's out of prison <laughs> now. So I think he got wrapped up in some other federal case recently, but he's he's now out. Okay. But it was very interesting where there is still kind of this mutual respect sometimes between law enforcement and the criminals. If you play the game right and right. you're respectful to each other. You can right. coexist. Yeah. It was just, it was really interesting to, to have that experience. Uh, all of our suspects are going to be convicted. They get different sensing ranges from about seven to 20 years, roughly. Uh, but our story doesn't end there. Okay. Now we're going to get into karma. Okay. About a year later, I'm contacted by the FBI, and mm-hmm. they want to come out to the police department, sit down and talk about the Miko Waite case. They're very interested in what was stolen. Any pictures we had of the house, things that Miko owned, oh. um, they're just really interested in Miko Waite. So, yeah, come on out. We sit down and talk. This is the beginning of an investigation that's going to last about three years. I'd gotten involved very slightly on the The FBI's outskirts.
0: investigation Last three it's years. It's a federal
1: investigation. It's going to last three years. I'm providing little tidbits here and there.
0: And the investigation is on Miko?
1: The investigation's on Miko. Miko, I know this is gonna shock you a little bit, is not a concert promoter.
0: What is he in any
1: capacity? He's a scam artist. So Miko is actually running this Ponzi scheme where he will find a very popular artist's tour calendar. So let's just let's go with Keith Urban. Mm-hmm. So he would see Keith Urban's on tour for the next 12 months. He would pick four or five of the concerts in California, Arizona, and New Mexico, and he would act, he would forge the documents, and he would act like he was the promoter for Keith Urban's tour as it comes through those states. And he would go out and get investors to invest, and he had a great deal. It's essentially a 4% return every month, and it's usually a 90-day turnaround. So for example, I have a million dollars I'm going to give Miko for this concert, when i loan him the money he's paying me $40,000 a month for that the interest if you will for 3 months and at the end of the 3 months he pays me my money back so i'm taking 120,000 right in 3 months it's That's a pretty a great good deal return. pretty good deal and what he was doing is it's just a ponzi scheme he's not representing keith urban he's not doing anything for the concerts he's taking that million dollars he's paying the guy the 40,000 out of his own million and then by the time the ninety-day window rolls around, he's got another investor hooked and a little bit more money this time, and he's paying the first investor back with the second. All
0: the while investor. buying himself Ferraris and Porsches, taking a couple and- hundred
1: grand off the top every time he does this deal. In about a four-year period,
0: mm-hmm. he
1: did this to the tune of fifty million.
0: Oh, my gosh.
1: He was taking people left and right. It, so
0: how did they finally figure out what he was doing?
1: Well, it got so prolific in what he was doing, an investment firm out of Mesa, Arizona actually got involved with him. And they're seeing dollar signs. So they're like, hey, Miko, you shouldn't have to do all of this. Let us bring investors to you, which for Miko is grand slam. It's payday. So now he had this recognizable, reputable <laughs> investment firm who was bringing million dollar customers to Miko being like, yeah, invest, invest. What was really funny is Miko would use part of that money to buy really, really nice VIP backstage access passes. He's buying them just like any other schmo off the street would. Mm -hmm. Well, then he's taking the investor backstage Giving them a tour of the concert. Showing them what their investment
0: dollars are doing. Yes.
1: And they're not even questioning because they're like, well, no, he took us backstage. We met people.
0: And he's never stopped backstage by any other concert producers, anything like that?
1: No, he's got the pass. He's just like anybody else going backstage. And a lot of them were meet and greets. So the people are meeting. The artist. The actual artist. And it looks legitimate.
0: Oh, my God. He's
1: going to run this for about four years he starts to miss payments because that's the problem with the ponzi scheme at some point you run out of the ability to pay people so he started missing payments this investment firm actually hired a former fbi guy to start digging into it and realize oh shit! right (laughs) he doesn't represent anybody he and his wife were forging all of the documents they would get cashier's checks out of their accounts to basically pay for a venue but then the next day, they would just redeposit the same cashier check back into mm-hmm. their account and be like, oh, they changed their mind. We're not doing it anymore. But he would make copies of it. So he'd give you all the paperwork. Contracts with these artists. He never represented Fiddy, by the way, even though he knew how to say his or name. Or
0: Keith. Keith. Or Dave.
1: Yeah. Not even Dave.
0: Oh, my uh, gosh.
1: Pretty interesting. He was... Killing it, though. He was making an incredible amount of money.
0: And his wife was involved.
1: His wife was involved in it. They, she was actually named in the lawsuit. There's also a big civil lawsuit. He was ultimately ordered to pay $30 million in restitution. That was still owed to the investors.
0: He doesn't he, even have that money to pay back
1: to investors. No, no. He got nine years in prison. He actually got a longer prison sentence than some of the people who did the home invasion. Oh,
0: my gosh. And,
1: oh, he got 250 hours of community service, so.
0: Uh, so there are no victims in this case, maybe except the baby.
1: The baby. The baby would be a victim. Well, What's, and maybe the
0: kid who wanted his cassette listened to, but he's kind of a victim, but not really. Yeah,
1: he had to do a little prison stint, too. We, it, it didn't yeah. wash away all of these charges. He still went to prison as well. What's interesting is in putting this together for this episode, I just ran to see where everybody was at now. Miko got out of prison, I think, in 2018. Mm-hmm. All of them except for one is out of prison now. But I found a lot of websites, people going after Miko to this day because they're investors that never got their money back. And just wishing the absolute worst in the world on people. And I was wondering.
0: If any of those investors hear this episode, there's karma. Yeah, they may not have
1: known that when Miko was just getting his start on defrauding people, he actually got jacked in a home invasion. (laughs) So maybe it was deserved. But yeah, karma has an interesting way of uh, of coming back into our lives.
0: That was a fun episode.
1: Yeah, a little bit more lighthearted. Yeah. Flashing cash. Next week.
0: Next week is a tougher episode. It's an interesting episode, but it's another pedophilia case that we're going to present to you. The primary suspect is called Holcomb Gunn, and we hope you join us and listen in.
1: Stay safe.